name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. May God pour his grace into you and grant you true joy in your hearts this second Sunday after the Epiphany. I am simply calling this homily wine, because given the current state of the world, I think that's what we all need. But I would add, the right kind of wine is what we need. Much to the chagrin of some, when God came into our world and took upon himself our flesh, his very first miracle involved wine. In fact, a lot of wine. An estimated 120 to 180 gallons of wine. In Psalm 104, the psalmist counts wine amongst the greatest blessings that God has given to men. He says to God, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. In other words, wine is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. Of course, in Jesus, this love and this happiness take on a far deeper meaning. In Jesus and in his cross, the fullness of God's love is revealed, shown forth, and epiphanied for all to see. And from Jesus flows the deepest possible happiness, the forgiveness of our sins, true peace with God, and the joyful and intoxicating knowledge of who God truly is and what he is truly like. In the scriptures, wine is a gift of God and a blessing that he gives. But as we all know firsthand, fallen human beings have a way of turning blessing into curse, happiness into sadness, and a fun time into a hangover. One might recall how Noah, after surviving the flood, and rather like a good Lutheran, immediately went out and planted a vineyard. Think of the ark and all that Noah had been through, and being cramped together with all of those animals and their delightful smells. Who could blame him for needing a drink? But he overindulges, and blessing again becomes curse. Joy again becomes sadness. The first man led the world into disaster by eating, but now this man leads the world into disaster by drinking, as all Noah's progeny can attest. But for every Noah, there's also a Melchizedek, a biblical example of someone who uses wine rightly and for the blessing of others and for the joy of all. As a foreshadowing of Christ himself, indeed perhaps Melchizedek even is Christ himself, he gives a meal of wine and bread to Abraham. And so too, when Isaac blesses Jacob, he prays for an abundance of grain and wine for him. Of course, how could we forget one of my favorite verses, that God as a blessing set apart the best of Israel's wine for the priests. And we see, too, that the promised land itself is described as a land of grain and wine, sustenance and joy. 
There are certainly examples in the Bible of people who abstain from alcohol in a godly way, like the Nazarites and the Rechabites. But when Jesus came, he was accused of being a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Indeed, to this very day, the hallmark of our Lord's church is that he still eats with sinners. And at his table, there is always the finest of wines. Of course, if wine is a blessing from God, then it must also be the case that a lack of wine is associated with God's punishment. And so we see this in the scriptures. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, the people are told that disobedience to God's commandments would result in vineyards that produce no wine and in what little wine the people had being consumed by foreign invaders. Wine equals blessing, no wine equals curse. In this way, John the Evangelist, who begins his gospel with allusions to Genesis, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and was God, he shows us an, a picture of an Adam and Eve under the curse, a man and woman at a wedding that has run out of wine. This is why Jesus speaks of his hour having not yet come. As always, he's thinking biblically. The time for him to remove the curse entirely, the time for him to make the mountains drip with sweet wine and the full blessing of God, his hour has not yet come. When Jesus does turn the water into wine, John tells us that this was a manifestation of his glory, language that John usually reserves for the love of God revealed on the cross. To lift the curse of the law, to let the wine flow once more, and to gladden the hearts of men for all eternity is precisely what the cross is all about. And when Jesus turns the jars of water into jars of wine, we glimpse this. Luther takes those large stone jars filled with water to represent the law. He writes, for when the hearts that Christ, for when the heart hears that Christ fulfills the law for us and takes our sin upon himself, it no longer cares that impossible things are demanded in the law. This is because the heart now has in Christ all that the law demands. The law is delightful now and easy, which before was disagreeable, difficult, and impossible, for it lives in the heart by the Spirit. What Luther sees is that in Christ, the water has been transformed into wine. The law has been transformed from impossible curse to delightful blessing, and would that more Lutherans could speak like Luther. There's also a blessed exchange that we see at the very heart of this. On the cross, Jesus will lack all things but sour wine, and he will say, I thirst. But unto us he gives such an abundance of blessing that our cups overflow. In this way, 
the process, the making of wine itself becomes a biblical motif for the salvation of the world. The earth has no more wine, no more gladness, and no more joy. It is under the curse. But in love for us, for fallen man, Jesus gives himself to the winepress that we might drink of him, that the wine of forgiveness might flow, that we again might know the deepest gladness and deepest joy and experience the blessings of God both now and forever. If you'll pardon the pun, this all flows directly into the sacrament of the altar, from the cross to the chalice, from the winepress to the cup. It's not merely the blood of grapes that we drink, but the blood of Christ. Christ crucified, Christ crushed, Christ pressed, that we might drink and have the deepest of all joys in the forgiveness of our sins, in true peace with God, and in the joyful and intoxicating knowledge of his love. What do we see in our world today? What I see is an epidemic of sadness. People searching for joy in all the wrong places and becoming more miserable, more desperate, more grasping, more selfish. We take the blessings of God and turn them into curses. I can think of no more poignant image of this than the attempt of some Christians to turn the blood of Jesus in the sacrament back into mere wine or worse, grape juice, forgiveness into a mere symbol, grace into our obedience, blessing into curse, wine into water. What we need is Jesus. Jesus exactly as he is in the scriptures. Jesus in the church, Jesus in the state, Jesus in our families and homes. And this begins when we turn from our own sins, put our lips to the chalice, and receive Jesus into our hearts, that we may carry him out into the state, the church, into our families and wherever we go. There's a reason why God has it, so that we receive him on our lips, so that he is on our lips when we go out into the world. For us this day, the world's most priceless wine is freely poured. It is the medicine of immortality. It is the most blessed, potent, and delightful gift that could ever be given to man. The blood of God shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. That by the wine of his blood, your heart may truly be cleansed and your joy made full joy that goes deeper than all sorrows. Do we believe that our Lord has the power to transform us? He who turned water into wine and wine into blood, can he not also turn sinners into saints and children of Adam into sons of God? Can he not turn this ragged and cursed world into the new heavens and the new earth? Indeed, he can. For as the scriptures say, he is making all things new. And what is to come is, as Isaiah says, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. <laughs>
he will swallow up death forever and wipe away all our tears. So until that day, cheers. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.